to Historias, the Spanish History Podcast. I'm your host, Foster Chamberlain. Today I'm joined by Wendy Perla Kurtz, a lecturer at the University of California, Los Angeles, and Digital Humanities Specialist at Gales Engage Learning, to discuss mass grave exhumations in Spain and her effort to create a digital map of these events. So Wendy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Foster. Thanks for inviting me to be here. That's my pleasure. So I thought we could start out with some basics. Um, how many of these mass grave sites are there in Spain and uh, where generally are they located? So while there's not an exact number um, known, there are an estimated or an identified roughly 2,600 uh, mass grave locations. And they're located throughout Spain, Northern Africa, and the Canary and Balearic Islands. Um, since the national government uh, doesn't participate in the location and the exhumation or the memorialization of these sites, um, they rely on information that's provided by local municipalities and um, memory associations like the Association for the Recuperation of Historical Memory um, to compile this information. So mm -hmm. it really is a joint effort to, to put this information together and, and make it public. Yeah, but that's um, an extraordinary number. Yes. So, um, so, of course, these are products of the Civil War, but why is it that there's so many of these different mass graves uh, in Spain, and are they mostly the products of the Republican side or the national side, or is it really both? So it's both from the Civil War, but also from the dictatorship. Um, and while both Republicans and nationalists were victims to these mass graves, the overwhelming number of grave sites come from the repressive sort of uh, campaigns that were carried out by the Francoist regime. Mm -hmm. So during and after the war, the regime really targeted Republican collaborators and um, they removed them from their homes forcibly. Oftentimes, family members didn't know what happened when, um, when their relations were taken from their house. And so some of the horrific practices that um, occurred were, were what they called paseos or sacas, where um, they would take these individuals on strolls, quote unquote, and um, they would end up in these mass graves and nobody would really know what happened to them. Um, and so communities were often left in wait trying to discover what happened to their family members. And the name of these missing, then desaparecidos, or the disappeared, really no one was ever able to, during, during the dictatorship that is, um, find out where they went and what happened, mm -hmm. although it was, um, you know, rumored and talked about the, the mass graves that were just outside often of, of these towns. Um, so it's assumed, a lot of family members assumed that's where they ended up, but they weren't able to ever really do anything about it to find out um, where they were. Yeah, which is kind of alarming to think about that they were right there outside the towns but no one knew yes um there are there are stories of um you know people who would they didn't often do a great job covering up a lot of these grave sites and so um bodies would kind of surface and, and nothing could really be done about that so mm -hmm. it was it was terrifying a lot of times for families to to confront that just outside of their towns oh i'm sure yeah in the 
immediate aftermath of the war, were there any efforts to excavate some of these graves and, and give the victims a proper burial? The short answer is yes. Um, there were efforts to excavate uh, graves in the aftermath of the war, but these efforts were one-sided. The current recuperations that are happening today you can't think of them as um, occurring in a vacuum, per se. They're rather the most current episode in a successive wave of disinterment and reburial. Uh, the post-war exhumations that you're asking about then began directly after the war. Uh, as part of the mourning for the losses on the winning side the, and the reconstruction of the country and the imposition of the new dictatorial state, uh, they they reburied and they exhumed um, the winning nationalists, right? So um, it, this was part of an official military victory, and it really anchored this idea of um, the religious crusades and heroism and martyrdom, um, and so it really it really helped to build out this um, history as national Catholicism in Spain. Mm -hmm. um, and so the exhumation of the victorious nationalists served to honor and mourn the winners of the war. They were heroes um, that were laid in state. They were laid for the country to honor. But the bodies of the defeated, of the Republicans, they remained in unmarked graves. Um, so the second sort of wave that happened was um, in the 1950s and a roughly 30,000 bodies were exhumed and then taken to the Valley of the Fallen and that's where, where they, they remained um, oftentimes families always the families were not notified they weren't asked if this was um, something that they would like to see happen, uh, but the dictatorship or the regime said that this was more of a gesture of respect. Um, that's arguable mm -hmm. since they were then uh, buried in Franco's mausoleum. Um, they were buried anonymously and really without any sort of um, input from the families. So the most current wave, the one that started um, in the 2000s, really focuses on recovering the remain of Republican victims. And so that's, um, that's the one that we're seeing more of in the press today. So can you tell us a little bit more about this uh, current wave? Why is it that you know, around the year 2000, there seemed to be all of a sudden this effort to uh, give these Republican victims a proper burial? So um, it wasn't until the year 2007 that families had a legal channel that they could actually begin exhuming um, bodies from these mass graves. Uh, in 2007, it was the passing of the, the historical memory law by Spanish Parliament um, that, that gave families um, the right to seek out these recuperations. In the year 2000, and why that year um, is, is important for, for these efforts, it was the year that first the, the Association of the Recuper for the Recuperation of Historical Memory was founded. And so they are the, um, the group that 
organized the first disinterment that was led by a team, a team of scientists um, where they sought to catalog and identify the remains of mass graves. Um, it was the sociologist and journalist Emilio Silva, who is the grandson uh, of one of the victims of this first sort of scientific mass grave um, exhumation that occurred, who organized this um, exhumation. Uh, and so he and a team of, of archeologists and scientists and community volunteers worked to exhume this mass grave um, in, in Leon, in Pieranza del Bierzo, where um, they exhumed 13 bodies, one of which was his grandfather. And so that sort of marks this um, new wave of exhumations that, mm -hmm. that started. So do you think there is a reason why at that particular moment in time, the government passed this memory law and people started to open up these graves? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, so uh, people had, I think, been grappling with, you know, the amnesty law of 1977 that was passed, or you know, what some people call this pact of silence, um, and that um, prohibited prosecution for the crimes correct, of the dictatorship. Exactly, and so um, because of that law, um, that that was one of the restrictions that was placed on these families from seeking out um, the, the exhumation reburials of these, of these sites. And so because people had been confronting the, the restrictions that were placed on them because of this, they really sought out um, the, the recuperation of these sites. And it was after difficult negotiations spanning you know, over 20 years um, that this law of historical memory was passed. Um, and it allowed for the recognition of these victims. So I think people were just ready for it to, to, to move forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so at this moment in time, do we have an idea about how many of these mass graves uh, have been exhumed and how much work remains to be done? So as of 2015, though that's the last update that we have, um, less than 400 of the 2,600 graves um, have been disinterred. So that's roughly 13%. So 6,300 bodies have been recovered of the 114,000 that are estimated to be buried. Wow. So there's still a significant amount of work that needs to be done. Yeah, that's, those numbers are incredible. Yeah, they're, they're shocking. So let's take a short uh, pause here and then we'll take a more detailed look at what exactly uh, takes place in, one, in the process of uh, exhumation. to the program. So now that we've established a bit of the historical background, 
Uh, I was wondering if you could describe the process of opening up um, one of these mass graves and who is generally involved in that process. Sure. Um, so the government, the national government, isn't generally involved in, in any of these recuperations, but it's really either local municipalities who assist or um, memory associations um, that are leading these efforts. And oftentimes the most difficult part is finding the precise location of these grave sites. Um, so during the dictatorship, the general location of the grave sites were known by communities sometimes, but no one really spoke about it. So the, the witnessing having community members who are aging now, it, having them there as a resource to find these graves are a really important part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, and relying on their memories to really go through the process of locating and finding and exhuming these graves are necessary. And that's where a lot of this um, collective memory or, or, um, or historical memory recuperation happens is around the locating and the finding um, of the sites just even before um, you go through the process of exhuming them and 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 uh, trying to identify the bodies. Once they find the site, um, the excavation work that's done is often um, accompanied by community and family members. The Association of Historical Memory, for example, puts out a libro de visitantes, so there's a visitor's book for people who um, come by to witness this, this exhumation. Um, it can take some time depending on the size of the site. And so this Libro de Visitantes is where people come and they leave memories, they, they write down thanks to the excavation mm -hmm. team for the work that they're doing, or they write notes to their lost family members. So it, it, it is really touching in the, the ARMH, Association for for the Recuperation of Historical Memory, publishes these Libro de Visitantes online. They publish not only these books, but the archeological findings. They, they also take photographs um, of the process of exhumation, and they publish all of this online. And these, the, the records that they're publishing are really important because they are, there is no state-sponsored archive or repository or any sort of record keeping that's being done outside of what these memory associations are doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's important to preserve and disseminate the information. Uh, and, and so the work that's being done um, during these excavations are really, really um, fundamental. And is there a scientific component to this process as well? Are archeologists or forensic uh, investigators usually involved? Yes, um, and that, that is one of the, um, the differentiating factors with the, the exhumations that were done you know, during the dictatorship, mm -hmm. after the war, um, and even um, there were some clandestine um, exhumations done before it was government sanctioned, you could say, and so none of that was ever um, documented or um, scientifically uh, processed and so the current exhumations generally have a team of archaeologists, social scientists, anthropologists who all um, are involved in the recuperation efforts. And so, the archaeologists um, they you know 
look for these sites of burials based on 60-year-old memories often. Uh, and the anthropologists then reconfigure the bones to see what happened. They try and they try and recreate basically the events that happened at the mass grave as far as much as they can. They also recover, you know, fragments of bullets any clothing that's still in existence. And so that's all catalogs and documented um, in the process of, of the excavations. Scientists are also involved. The identification of these individuals is also important, obviously, to family members. So uh, they perform DNA, and my, my, mitochondrial DNA sequencing um, using the blood of surviving family members. Uh, unfortunately, this process is costly, and so it's... Um, it, it, it's happening at an uneven rate, but um, it's still occurring. Now, you already said a little bit, but can you um, describe a little bit more for us what typically goes on in one of these reburial mm. ceremonies after the bodies are uh, exhumed and how the um, local community really gets involved in this process? Definitely. Um, so through the photographs and the videos that are shared on uh, new media sites, social media sites, uh, a, a pattern starts to emerge of, of rituals that are, are being done throughout Spanish territories. So these rituals of commemoration and reburial um, tend to follow a similar pattern. Uh, the celebration of, of lives and of mornings is shown through first the decoration of the space. So whether that's uh, using flags, often Republican flags now since these graves are, are from Republican um, victims. So they're, they're covered in flowers, in, in flags, and uh, pictures. So they'll take um, old photographs of the victims and they'll place them alongside the tombs. Mm -hmm. um, then there's generally an artistic representation, so some sort of music, musical accompaniment, whether that's a guitar, whether that's a singer, or uh, a poetry reading uh, is often done. And then the event is generally culminated by the return of the bodies into, um, into a site for reinterment. So many times, rather than rebury the recovered bodies separately in their own tombs, families decide to keep them together. And so they're often reinterred in a grave um, to maintain the sanctity of, um, you know, the fact that they were once buried together in this mass grave and now they're being um, reinterred by their family members and they're, they're kept together mm -hmm. um, to to retain that connection um, from the grave, uh, but this time they are um, they're being put there with the knowledge of family members. So it seems like this whole process can re be really very important for uh, the descendants of these victims and these communities in terms of even the grieving uh, process and also kind of the historical memory that this whole community has. So can you tell us a little bit about what function this serves for the, the historical memory? Uh, so the lack of a state-sponsored exhumation of mass graves after the dictatorship really created a void in collective memory. Mm -hmm. And the disinterment process then acts as a catalyst for rebuilding these suppressed or unexplored sentiments that were silenced by the fascist regime. And then later through the transition to democracy um, with the, the passing of the 
of the amnesty law of 1977. So the exhumation sites and these commemoration rituals, as recorded and distributed um, online, helped to construct a new historiography um, of the Civil War and the dictatorship by presenting these alternate and collective histories about the post-war um, physical and virtual communities. Um, there are a lot of, of websites that are run by these families um, that create these virtual communities, really contribute to the creation of alternate micro-histories. And these really serve to combat this established historiography that was in place by the regime. Mm -hmm. uh, so social media sites and, and blogs uh, really become, again, this archive of, of texts in the absence of a repository for the preservation and the dissemination of um, this ever-evolving catalog of reburials. Um, and the yearly commemorations and ceremonies that transfer remains back to, uh, to the families and to the communities help generate collective knowledge and really fight against the idea of this memory stagnation stagnation that can um, that can occur often. And it seems like these efforts have really raised awareness about uh, you know the nature of the war and, and all the atrocities that, that took place. It has indeed, yes. We're going to take another pause and then we'll take a closer look at your project in particular and the online uh, commemoration efforts. we could turn to your own project, Wendy, that aims to provide a digital map of these mass uh, grave sites. So can you tell us what your goals are uh, for this project? Sure. Um, so I've built a map and it's called uh, Virtual Cartographies. And what it does is it layers data that I acquired from the Spanish Ministry of Justice alongside a collection of multimedia texts that are directly related to each specific grave site. Mm -hmm. So virtual cartographies uh, is considered a thick map and it combines this variety of digital cultural materials in an attempt to give depth to these spaces of mourning and to share the various ritualistic practices that are occurring around the, the exhumations and the inhumations. Um, so by embedding materials that show the search for the grave sites, then the exhumation process, um, the inhumation process, and then finally um, the yearly commemorations that occur around these sites, uh, Virtual Cartographies is attempting to highlight the practices that are occurring around um, the peninsula and to tie those directly to uh, locations of mass graves. How did you go about building this project, obtaining all these different data points and putting them all together? As one of the measures of the historical memory law, uh, the Ministry of Justice actually developed their own map 
um, that reveals the areas where the remains of the victims um, are. And so um, you can access this map and they're required also to provide alongside their map the data that they use to create it. And so their um, CSV file is actually published online and um, anybody can access that and use that information. Um, so the National Catalog of Open Data uh, is where you could find that map and it acts as an access point to the data sets that the government makes available for reuse. Now, one of the conditions for use is that the Spanish Ministry of Justice requires users that are using their data to um, display the most current version of it. Uh, and so on their site, they actually say, you know, we will be updating this data uh, biannually and um, so you must if you're using it also update the update the data however um, they haven't updated their data set since 2015 um, and so I, I think I mentioned this earlier the estimates um, haven't changed since then because they haven't made this information public uh, now the delay in actualizing the information um, can be attributed to a number of different factors. The change in political parties could be one of them. Um, in December of 2011, um, the, the, they eliminated state funding for these exhumations. Um, so despite claiming that you know we who are using this data have to update our information, um, it's interesting or it's an interesting fact to me that, that they actually haven't updated it in the last four for now five years. The, the information I have is as current as, as is available to us, but it hasn't changed since 2015. So. What other kinds of uh, resources are you adding on top of the, of the map? I think you mentioned photos and video. How, how are you gathering that information? To date, I have 150 digital texts that I've included, and these range from testimonies to um, novels and videos. Um, the videos could be full-length documentary films, or they could be um, short YouTube clips that, that family associations or individuals have uploaded to YouTube, for example. There are narratives available from weblogs and newspapers. Um, newspaper articles as well as scholarly articles and then um, ar archaeological reports if there are any available mm -hmm. are also on there so each layer on the map is dedicated to a different type of media so one layer is audio from radio programs for example and then another layer is video and so on um, and so the the material that I have on there, these multimedia elements, um, really stem from my dissertation work. And so a lot of them are things that I, I studied in my dissertation and really unpack um, within, that, within that space. Um, but it continues to grow and that's where a lot of the work comes into play and into making sure that it's staying current and, and, and it has um, as much information as I can gather about it. So could you give us an example or two of what a couple of these points actually look like with the different layers of mm. media as you mm -hmm. described. In Malaga, for example, is, is um, in the Cementerio de San Rafael, is one of the largest grave sites. Um, it's been exhumed now and um, the bodies have been reinterred. Uh, there are about 4,000 individuals in that mass grave alone. 
And so if you, if you navigate to that part of the map, for example, you can see a um, newspaper articles about the excavation process when it was happening. You can also see interviews from um, people who were there witnessing the, the, the excavation of the site. Um, there's also several radio programs. Um, there's a, since it's in the south, um, there's a radio program that Canal Sur puts together. And so there are several interviews from local um, government officials, from um, family members, and you can listen to those radio programs about this specific um, exhumation in Malaga um, from the map. Um, and so we're also going to include a link to this project, uh, Virtual Cartographies, on the webpage so listeners can go and check out some of these resources uh, for themselves as well. I was wondering, just to kind of conclude here, if you could uh, tie this project that you've been working on and other online resources that are available to what we were talking about in the, in the first couple of uh, segments, how do you see your project as contributing to this um, larger process of shaping the historical memory and the way people think about these mass graves and the victims of the Civil War? Yes, yeah, so the deep layering of these interactive media elements really lend insight into the histories that uh, surround topography in Spain. So in the case of the exhumations, um, a thick map like virtual cartographies that combines information about the geography with digital texts about these specific spaces help to contextualize uh, the processes undertaken by individuals and communities around the disinterments. So inscribing these gravesite locations with the testimonies and the videos and the narratives um, really are meant to give further depth to these spaces of mourning. Um, the juxtaposition of these digital cultural materials embedded within a map like this um, really help visualize this polyphonic view, right? These, these micro histories of the recuperation efforts that are visible in these digital texts. Um, and since they're produced by everyday citizens and virtual communities and physical communities, um, it really um, helps bolster their efforts. Yeah, great. Well, I think this is a really important project that you're uh, undertaking and hopefully one that will continue to grow and, and be a resource uh, for these communities. So thank you so much for coming on the program and talking about it. Thanks, Foster. Thank you for listening to this episode of Historias. For additional information about our guest and a list of suggested readings, please visit our website at historiaspodcast.org. Also be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and to follow us on Facebook or Twitter so that you can be notified of new episodes.